And of course, we're around tables for a reason, is because there's some things that we'd like to talk about. So, of course, we're in our summer series of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in um, Mark chapter 7 today. If you have your own Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. If you would like to follow along but don't have your own Bible, there are some on uh, the table that you're sitting at. If you're going to be using those Bibles specifically, um, we're going to be on page 1,567, 1,567, and uh, we're going to be reading Mark, uh, part of Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter, um, and I'd like to give a bit of a highlight um, of what chapter 7 is, and then we're going to talk about one section more specifically um, two of our three sections in Mark chapter 7, um, we read stories of healing. We, we see the faith of a Syrophoenician, how about that, for a place to be from, uh, a woman, and we see uh, Jesus healing a deaf and mute man, quite famously by using mud, right? Um, we have read about stories of healing before, in this series, we've talked about this idea of faith and proximity working together um, as, as means into which Jesus heals people. What I admire in these two accounts, and I'm talking about Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24 through the end of the chapter is where we, is where we read of those two accounts. Um, what I admire is the humility that is shown by the woman from um, Syrophoenicia, and by the man that was deaf and mute. There's a great amount of faith and humility that is at play, especially if you were to read the account of the woman that Jesus extends grace and healing towards. So I would encourage you, if you have time this week, to, to, to look up Mark chapter 7 and read those stories. They're, they're quite powerful, and they really show an example of a great amount of humility. But what I'd like to do is look at a far more uncomfortable passage to read. <laughs> and it's the first 23 verses. It's Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1 through 23. What we find here is Jesus calling out hypocrites. And boy, is this fun to read about. <laughs> because uh, what, what makes me perhaps most uncomfortable when I read stories like this is I end up resonating with the hypocrite. And of course, that only comes when we're honest with ourselves, right? Is is saying, well, man, I'm, I'm probably way more like the hypocrite in this story than anyone else. So we, we pull out all the characters from these stories when we read them, of course, and, and we resonate. Um, quite uncomfortable to read about, especially if you're willing to find yourself um, similar to, in this case, the Pharisees. I'd like to read just three verses to help frame and understand what we're talking about. Jesus is with Pharisees that are talking about different ways to wash your hands before you eat. Um, if that's not an exhilarating conversation, then I don't know what is. <laughs> but Jesus encounters this, and he actually draws upon the prophet Isaiah when he does so. So if you would uh, follow along with me, Mark 7, starting at verse 6. Jesus says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. 
Not the funnest passage to have to interact with. But this is the conversation that's happening. This is the exchange that's taking place between Jesus and, in this case, the Pharisees. No one likes being called a hypocrite, especially hypocrites. <laughs> and we could imagine that this was some of, the, some of the feedback that Jesus was getting after he just very clearly um, was speaking to the Pharisees. Don't get lost in the word hypocrite. Find yourself in the definition of hypocrite. In this particular case, it's the releasing of the commands of God and the tightly holding on to of human tradition. And we're not going to so much talk about what we even mean by traditions, but there's a very clear exchange, releasing of one for the other. And this garners the label hypocrite. A lot of times we view the word hypocrite as, as someone who does not practice what they preach. For example, someone that that says one thing and does another. And of course, that's an acceptable definition. We see that same word, however, with a completely different way of going about life, is ignoring the commands of God and holding on to the traditions that they either formed themselves or perhaps inherited from generations past. Um, there are two things at play here. Um, what we first need to remember is that no one wakes up wanting to be a hypocrite. <laughs> we we got to keep that in mind, is that, at least if we're going to give the benefit of the doubt, is that no one wakes up saying, I'm going to say one thing and do another. <laughs> what it would take is for a loving and graceful God, perhaps through a loving and graceful person, to be able to say, let's talk about this. I, I hear this. I see this. Let, let's, let's reconcile that. Let's, let's talk more about that. If we are going to give that benefit of the doubt, then what the Pharisees are doing in this particular passage is they are seeking holiness or pursuing holiness, and they are trying to grow in holiness. If we're giving the benefit of the doubt, that's the attempt. The attempt is to pursue a holy life and to maintain and grow in this holy life. They were pursuing holiness, in this case, by focusing on outside elements of life, ceremonial hand-washing and what we read many other traditions. Jesus says this. He says you do a lot of other things like this. Um, they sought to grow in holiness by holding on to human traditions, pursuing it by these outward things, wanting to grow in it by holding on to traditions of the past, in so doing, letting go of the commands of God. Jesus states quite clearly that this is not the way he designed things to be. And then he ties things together. He actually gives us some really helpful theology here. Don't miss it. Kind of towards the middle to end of that section of scripture. He says, it's not what goes into a human that defiles them but it's what comes out from the heart of a human that does or does not defile someone. It's very much more about this inner work. He, he introduces this idea of an inner work that takes place. In, in other passages of Scripture, we read about Jesus um, talking to people that it would be no use 
for you to clean the outside of a cup while neglecting the inside. Because then the, the, the intention of that cup to be filled with something is now useless because the inside has been neglected. He gives similar imagery to, to us as well, that perhaps we shouldn't first focus on what's happening outside of us, but that we should perhaps focus on an inner work. So in light of all of that, we enter into our discussion together. Share as much as you are comfortable with sharing. Um, of course, if you're sitting at a table with a stranger, good for you. That's a very uncomfortable thing to do for some, but introduce yourself before you start talking to each other. There are three questions that we're gonna be kicking around today. The first one is this, is do you see maintaining a particular outward appearance as a real temptation? Is that an actual temptation that you either feel, your, feel yourself or do you see it in other people that that is an actual part, a tempting part of being a human is maintaining an outward appearance? Uh, the second is, do you recognize human traditions ever getting in the way of what God is asking us to do? Of course, this can be a very simple yes or no question, but feel free to talk a little bit more about that if you'd like. And then our third question, I would encourage you to engage in, in mystery here engage in not believing that you know all the answers because Jesus really turns things around for us every time we read about him. But here's the question is, how does our heart remain pure? What is our role in making what comes out of us clean? And of course, we're talking about the things that come from our heart. Um, so engage in these three conversations for about 10 or 12 minutes. We'll come back together, tie a bow on this morning, and then We'll respond together and be out of here. So uh, turn towards one another, introduce yourselves, and let's talk for a couple minutes. Thank you for uh, once again being willing to have discussion with people. Um, I, I hope what, I hope what you, you are experiencing is what one of our main goals was of doing this series in the first place was um, that through growing together in relationship that we would actually be growing closer to, to God as well. And I hope you're experiencing that. I hope today was no exception, but as, as you've been coming and going from this series, I hope that that has been your experience because um, those are good things to do is to, is to grow closer to, together. Um, but of course, we've had this conversation about a couple of really tense topics and sometimes not the fun stuff that we like talking about, but um, important things nonetheless. The reason that it's important for us to have this kind of a conversation is because we need to remember that our faith doesn't revolve first around a set of ideals, but it revolves around a living person, and that living person is Jesus Christ. Um, for us to say that Christ is alive, to say that, that his spirit makes God alive with us, is to incorporate um, dynamic living versus static living. So I wanna present those two words to you as, as we kinda close here. Ideals are generally static. 10 Commandments were literally etched into stone, right? And of course we don't throw those away because the issue is not, um, is, is, is throwing away the 10 Commandments throwing away the commands of God, throwing away love your neighbor as yourself, throwing away love one another as I have loved you. That's the problem. The problem is not the commands themselves. The, 
The problem is replacing those with these static, made-in-the-moment human traditions that Jesus speaks of. Traditions do a good job at maintaining whatever was happening at that particular moment in time. Group of people got together. This is happening around us. Let's do these things. And at that time, they were very good things because they were very applicable things. And they were brought into context because there were certain things happening. However, they don't change that easily. Um, A lot of times we say, let's keep this good thing going until it's not good anymore, and then we don't know what to do. Um, Those traditions that are generally static don't help us in following a living and active God that is speaking and is working and is bringing about new things in our lives. The dynamic and the static don't work well together. In fact, the dynamic goes beyond, the static stays behind. And this is why making space for an inner work is so important, is because static things don't scale well to contextual realities. This is what I mean by that, is is that there are plenty of things, and think of anything. I'm not even talking just about church stuff. Think of anything that you used to do all the time but you no longer do it. It's because we grow out of things, right? I don't crawl anymore. Does anyone else crawl? (laughs) I don't, uh, you know, play with the action figures anymore, right? The the toys, the the way that we used to talk, the way that we used to think about the world, we, we have left these things behind because what we're very, very easily willing to say is, well, I've grown out of those things. Now, consider on the flip side of that, something that God has done in your life, and as a result, you have never been the same, that is the inner work that produces lasting fruit. Now, you could say, well, there was a time in my life where I started reading my Bible every day, and it was through that, through that outward habit that, that God really changed my life. I would say to you, that was the Holy Spirit working in your life through the Scriptures, that have been handed down from generation to generation. It's very easy to say that something I'm doing on the outside is God, and that it is God working through me. What he would say himself is, it's a work that is done in the heart that produces new and different outward things, inside out, not outside in. So, it's this inner work, it's this lasting work that poises us for transformation, poises us for being able to do what the Pharisees were trying to do. And once again, they were trying to pursue holiness and they were trying to grow in holiness. These are very important and good things. But we have to get right the order of operations. It's an inner work that we should all perhaps desire the next step is a lot more difficult. Really, really easy to say, I want a new inner work to happen in my life. It's very easy to say that. 
the next step is the way more difficult one, and it's putting to rest the dreams and the aspirations and the things that are distracting us from the things of God. It would have taken the Pharisees that we've read about in Mark chapter 7 to make a conscious decision in saying, what I have been doing up until this point has kept me from the God that has been living and active and working and speaking this whole while, and I've missed it. It would have taken a Pharisee to say that and to give up the things that they were clinging on to in order to receive not what they knew was going to come, but receive what God was doing then that they had been blind to. It is putting to rest, it's a big word for us, expectations. It's a huge word. Putting to rest expectations you have on yourself, you have on others, and you have on God. To say God cannot is a tough place to be in. That God would never, it's a tough place to be in if the only reason we're saying that is because it goes against what we want. Tough place to be in. Is putting to rest any efforts of maintaining a past reality that gave you comfort then or assurance then that was rooted in something other than Jesus? It's putting that stuff to rest, being able to say, why did I start doing that in the first place? Why did we start doing that in the first place? And if it's not rooted in advancing the kingdom and you growing closer to Christ and the church growing closer to Christ, then that stuff, as I think Jesus would say, needs to be forgotten. And it's putting to rest this idea that we don't have to offer up our whole lives to God in order for him to do something new. I remember the moment, and maybe you do too, when I made the conscious decision that although I had been baptized, although I had been participating in church, although I had considered myself a Christian at, at this point, for nine years, I remember the moment in my life where through Haitians, through the poorest of the poor on planet earth in Haiti, God was showing me that I was living for myself. And you know, I was able to do it going in and out of church, that it's possible to be living for yourself and showing up to a building every Sunday. And God said, this is where you've been this whole time. You have been trapped in this way of thinking to where you can reconcile doing what you want and following the creator of the universe at the same time. Not possible. It's not. Um, and... I have this come to Jesus moment, this, this moment of reckoning where I am shown through the orphan, through the widow, through the poor, through the broken, that there was so much more for me to experience. If I indeed give up everything, 
I'm not saying I went back and quit my job. First of all, I was a college student, so there's nothing to quit there except school, which is a job. You don't go back and, you know, just get rid of everything. It's that inner work. It's that inner work that, that changes a mindset. And it's an inner work that changes a mindset that changes what we actually do with our time, how we view others, what we view as meaningful and important. And God does this work where he changes all of that. And all of a sudden, the things that burdened you before sometimes no longer burden you. That is profound. Profound thing to experience as a human being. Because, of course, we've all been born and we've been living. And can pasts be redone? No, there's no time machine. That's not what this is. But there is a present and there is a future that God is inviting us into. And it begins with that inner work. It, it begins with that turning from whatever I am most desperately holding on to and towards perhaps something better that God would have for me. So 